All right, uh, welcome to another episode of Speed Change Repeat. Um, today with Rasmus Rote. Uh, hi, Rasmus. Hey, thanks for the invitation. Yeah, so uh, very glad uh, for you to be on this podcast today. Um, you are the uh, co-founder of um, Merantix, which is a, an AI venture studio. And uh, I'm really looking forward to this because uh, our common friend basically recommended you and uh, he told me a lot about you and also about what Merantix is doing. So I'm very, very excited uh, for this talk that we're going to have now. And we usually start our podcast always the same way so that our guest basically has the opportunity to kind of uh, talk you know, about himself, herself, where they come from, and basically how um, about the different stages in their life and basically how that ended up on where they are today. Sure. Um, so yeah, so I'm, I'm Rasmus. Um, I'm the co-founder and CTO of Merantix. Um, I'm actually originally from Bremen in Germany, um, and then basically, uh, spent the first couple of years studying uh, computer science and engineering. I actually was already doing a lot of science competitions during high school and, and middle school. So I built mobile robots, I built a automatic tuner for guitars and all kinds of kind of smart devices. Actually, I think the first neural network I implemented when I was like 13 or 14 um, for, for a mobile robot, um, which we used for um, the RoboCup uh, World Championship, where basically robots play soccer. So that was, that was a lot of fun. Um, and so after that, it was basically pretty clear that I, I would also study something in that direction. So I did computer science at Oxford, Princeton and ETH Zurich. Um, and um, kind of my last, last stage was, was my PhD, where I focused on um, applying deep neural networks to, to computer vision. So understanding images. I worked on face recognition. Um, I worked on um, some object detection. So basically trying to detect objects and images and basically using neural networks for, for this purpose. And, um, spent a few years in academia there. And um, during, during my PhD, I also noticed that machine learning has a tremendous potential across any industry, basically where you have a lot of data, but at the same time, um, just solving the technical problem is not enough to, to build a successful product uh, and bring it to the market. And I noticed, okay, even if I have an algor algorithm which works really well, um, there's a lot of other things I also have to do in order to bring something successful to the market, like, you know, building a product, like, in our healthcare company, maybe regulatory topics, um, raising funding, um, and, and these kind of things. And so um, I saw a few companies around also the universities I was at who had a great technology, but were lacking a lot of the commercial product, product side of things. And so that's kind of where the idea of Merantix was born, um, to build a company that kind of merges on the one hand the academic research with, with industry, to then ultimately build successful product companies. And um, that's what we're doing. So we are a venture studio. We are incubating um, AI first companies um, by basically funding them with financial resources, but also by helping building teams together, understanding and evaluating what ideas to work on. And we've done that for the last four years. Um, we've built or we've been building two product companies so far. One is Vara, which is a, a medical imaging company. It helps doctors, specifically radiologists, to um, um, work more efficiently and also miss less cancers. Um, we focus on mammography as a first use case, uh, which right now I think is a, you know, a regular screening where, where women go to, to, for breast cancer um, detection and where doctors just for cognitive biases miss a lot of cancers, but also um, where they could spend their time on much many other tasks. And so our software basically helps them. Um, 
And so that's our first product company, Vara. And then we have another one, which is Zero Search, which helps um, um, autom basically automated driving data, um, helps to organize this automated driving data for um, large car manufacturers, but also suppliers, because you can imagine when you have an, a car with petabytes of data it generates with all its sensors that it's quite hard to figure out what to store, what to throw away, and also search the data. And so all software helps to organize this data. Um, and yeah, that's where Mirantix, we're like 60 people right now. We are working on a few new ventures. Uh, we also have our Mirantix labs where we build customized solutions uh, for clients. So that's more like a, a solutions consulting business. Um, and there are a few very exciting new topics we are getting into right now. And so, yeah, um, and maybe one, one last thing. So besides, um, you know, this is my 95% job. Um, my 5% job is um, working with the German AI Association, which, which I co-founded two years ago um, to work also towards government and regulator on uh, improving the conditions in Germany and Europe around um, starting AI companies, getting government funding, making sure they have the right regulatory environment. And so there we are around 250 companies by now. Um, uh, and so, yeah, conti continuously growing and trying to speak up in, in Europe. Yeah, very, very interesting. Uh, so let's let's talk a little bit more about Merantix first, because and then maybe you know uh, later uh, at a later stage talk about what you're doing with the government there. Um, so you have a world class education from a technical perspective, and um, as far as I know, you have also a, a, your other half basically on Merantix, so your co-founder. Um, is more coming from the business perspective, right? So uh, maybe uh, talk me through uh, the, the process in the beginning on, okay, when, when you started Merantix, right? So uh, what was basically, how, how did you approach, approach, approach this whole thing? Yeah, so in the beginning when, so Adrian had just sold his last company and he was uh, spending some time in the Valley and got very interested uh, in AI. Um, and so we got connected by my um, former roommate who's also an entrepreneur. Um, and he was like, hey, you know, Rasmus is wrapping up his PhD. He wants to start a company in the space. And Adrian, you're, you're also looking in the same space. Why don't you meet? Uh, and so we met. And um, then we actually spent probably like six months um, just together looking at different use cases. So we talked to a lot of large corporates, small companies, other entrepreneurs, tried to identify um, you know, what, what are interesting areas to get into because we knew, okay, there's natural language processing, computer vision, their applications, and, and also in the healthcare sector, and the automotive sector, insurance, and lots of industries. So we just ended up doing like a lot of interviews. And usually the deal was that um, and in, in 2016, AI was still um, less known by many people in the management. I mean, they knew that there was something coming, but they weren't in the details. And so we basically offered them to explain them what, what is happening with AI and why this is important in return, they would explain us their business. And so we would try to then identify potential use cases. And basically when we did this for six months, we realized, okay, in every single industry, there's so many use cases. And the hard part is basically always bringing the technical expertise together with the industry access and the industry expertise, and also putting capital behind it to actually build something. Um, uh, and productize something. And so we just say we can have a much bigger impact if we actually build this platform, the venture studio Merantix, where we make sure that we bring all these different stakeholders together and, and then have them work on a, on, a, on, a, on a specific product. And so that's, that's where the idea was born. And so 
Then we were both still in Zurich at that time and said, okay, Berlin is also a great place. Let's move there because um, Berlin um, is, you know, English speaking, very international, is close to the to regulator and also uh, very much growing as a startup um, capital and also at the same time close to, you know, the German Mittelstand, um, small and medium businesses, manufacturing, automotive, some great, very interesting industries. And so we figured it's a good trade-off for, for various things. And so then we started and basically hired the first people and, and start building out uh, the company. Mm. So I, I think there's a really important uh, uh, point that you mentioned, which is um, combining basically the, the, the technical knowledge, right? The knowledge about, okay, about uh, what, it, what the current state of art, artificial intelligence is with, uh, let's say, the um, domain knowledge, right? So, for example, you said like, okay, you have two ventures that you build out right now, which is on, on the healthcare side and maybe also from the uh, automotive uh, perspective. How do you then approach, like, for example, a venture? Uh, how do you get, like, how do you get the domain knowledge in, into, let's say, product development? Yeah. Yeah, I think it's, it's super important. Um, there, there are various ways. I think one way is that basically we would just bring somebody into the core team who has a background in that area. So it could be, um, so for example, in the healthcare uh, venture, we very early on what's brought a, a chief medical officer on the team who was a radiologist for many years in the, in the hospital practice there. So, because we realized it's very important from day one um, to have somebody in the team who knows, speaks the language, who knows the details, knows all the quirks about their workflow. And um, because there's, it would take us too long and would be impossible from the outside to understand that. Um, I think that's one way. And But the other way is also just getting started and working first with first clients. So I think in the automotive space, I mean, we did the same. We have one of, one of the advisors was on the board of one of the large car companies. So we also have some and several other advisors who are very deep in the automotive space. But at the same time, we also initially actually started just working with some of these OEMs and tier ones. And the product was still a bit unclear and fuzzy at that point, but um, we ran a couple of POCs and then noticed there was this common challenge of um, managing these large amounts of data. And then we basically gained a lot of the domain knowledge also on the job because um, you, can, you can get advisors and also some senior people for some expertise, but for some expertise, it's so deep in the woods, you just need to get your hands dirty because you might actually be one of the first ones globally approaching this problem or one of the very few. And so um, getting, bringing together the knowledge of where this industry goes and the deep learning expertise and doing this right now in the European market, there are not that many others who do exactly the same th couple of things together. And so you just need to try it out and then iterate and learn on the job. Okay. You know, um, well, I, I would like to know what your perspective is on, on, on a certain thing. And that is, so, you, I mean, you build out this venture now on, and you talk to a lot of, uh, let's say, players uh, in the automotive space. So a lot of, of the big OEMs. And uh, I think this is also a really interesting question because, I mean, uh, we're in Germany right now. So um, the automotive industry obviously is one of the core pillars. Um, so what is your perspective now after, you know, uh, some time talking to all these different, let's say, parties? what is their let's say what is their current state with this with, with, the, with the technology right with the application because that's exactly what you said right that uh, there's the um the number of use cases right is countless so what is their current state and why is the application of the technology or the uh, the let's say the um 
the implementation of the technology in let's say use cases right why is it not that accelerating so why is it why is it not really you know happening that fast yeah i think i think one thing has to do with that these car companies specifically if you talk about the the oems they have to go through a massive transformation right so they're they have to move from uh to to, to basically to move, move to electric cars that's one big transformation there's the whole like shared mobility thing which is another you know big transformation and then there is the whole like automated driving transformation and what all of these things also have underlying partially is that they have to turn from like a manufacturing company to more like a software company because in the end also you know if you look at the tesla it's 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 not about the hardware it's about the software running on the hardware and like building an electric car is much easier than a, a combustion engine car and so um and transforming such a large organization which still builds like so many cars every day that is super hard because also for for i don't know for like manufacturing you have a very different way of planning ahead and you need to plan much more ahead for software you can be much more agile and so building transforming the whole organization into a software organization um while it's running um is incredibly it's incredibly hard and so um i think that's the biggest I think that's the biggest um, challenge. And so that's why it's, if you, if you work with Ultimate Realm or Andy's Labs with like software first companies, it's much easier with, to collaborate with them because they have the software DNA, whether when it's with the manufacturing company or automotive, you see that their DNA is still different and they're, they're trying to change and they're doing it and, they, and they're certainly doing a, a, a good job, but it just takes time and hopefully it doesn't take too long to, because there are certainly players, other players around the world who are moving much quicker at, at currently and, and and might overtake us or already overtook us and so we need to need to catch up there yeah that's that's uh, uh that's very interesting i mean that's exactly what you see right now with uh, volkswagen right i mean what they ultimately try to do is they try to build a new company next to the old company right it's and the, the whole transformation to really going into the software first right yeah so it's, it's really really incredible so um let's say what uh, from from I mean it's it's now already four years that you've been in, in business with Rantix. Uh, what are maybe you know two or three of the biggest learnings or three of the biggest insights that you that you that you would say you got in that time that you have been that you have been around? Yeah, so I think I, I think there I think there are a couple of learnings. So um, one first learning is certainly that. As a, as a scientist, you always think that, or like a machine learning researcher, you always think that the the machine learning part is the most important part of the product and ultimately drives the success. And I think that's that's unfortunately rarely the truth. So I think for everything we've been doing so far, it's important that you build strong algorithms and that they work well, but ultimately what's, what's, what's gonna make or break the company is often rather the product and your distribution mode. So like in any other company, so, just because you have an algorithm which is a few percent better will rarely decide whether you will win or your competitor win. Um, it's the one with the better product. And so balancing that well in the organization, even though we are such an AI-focused organization, but at the same time, and you know, we and we value that a lot, we still need to not focus too much on it and also really think about product and commercial side. Um, I think that's one learning. I think another learning is that I always like classify um, the AI opportunities into like two categories. There's one category where um, where a certain industry will fundamentally change because of AI. 
And so that's where it's, there's an opportunity to build a AI first vertical AI company that, you know, ultimately in the next 10, 15 years becomes a very dominant player in the space because I don't know, radiology will clearly work differently in 15 years or automated driving will clearly come in the next 15 years at some point. So um, that those are spaces where things will look very different. So there's a big opportunity to build a company, but there are a lot of other opportunities we've, and that's the second category. There are a lot of other, other opportunities we've looked at, which are kind of more nice to have, or like more like incremental improvements to a certain workflow where you maybe go into, I don't know, um, some assembly line and you now use some computer vision to improve one step of the whole assembly line. And certainly that has some improvements, but it's so marginal and so specific, maybe also to your assembly line that like building a product company that just focuses on this will not be enough. And so there it makes much more sense to build a quick custom solution or uh, even have the company do it themselves. And so making sure basically when you build a product company to focus on the first category is super important um, because only there you can, you can really build a venture case. Um, and I think the third one is probably common learning. I think everything takes um, longer than expected, um, whether it's data acquisition from partners or whether it's getting the algorithm to a performance, whether it's sales cycles. Um, and that's especially, I mean, that's anyways in B2B, I guess more of a thing than in, in B2C because there you have the consumers, everything is very quick moving and you know, you directly get traction or no traction. Um, you directly get feedback. Um, when you work with some of these large organizations, um, also in regulated environments, things can easily take three, six months. Um, and so, um, yeah, you need to get used to the tourism and at the same time work with this because so you can't afford as a venture funded company to wait 18 months and then wait for feedback. So even if feedback might take six months or the PC might take six months, you have to understand all signals on the way. And I think getting good at this, getting early indications uh, is very, very important because that will make you much quicker. Mm. Yeah, so let's say you, you just mentioned that as, as your point that there's there's a difference between or in, in how you categorize the, the implication or the application of artificial intelligence and that there's certain things where you say, okay, which, you know, within the next 10 years or so, which will be, let's say, you know, uh, dominant players in their space. So maybe, maybe, uh, I mean, obviously, I guess, you know, it's four years and you have done, and you have done two ventures that come out. Right. So uh, maybe, maybe you, from the top of your head, what is uh, one big thing that you, that you, where you say, okay, if, 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 you know, if we apply AI there, this will be, this will be really a big thing in the future. Yeah, I think, I mean, I'm, I'm always biased, but I think one big space where we're also right now starting a company is the space of biology uh, and specifically synthetic biology. Um, I mean, the, the intersection of basically biology and machine learning is super interesting because um, if you talk about synthetic biology, so um, for example, optimizing proteins, um, there are tremendous and very interesting applications, both in, in the pharmaceutical space, but also in the classic bioeconomy. So where you right now basically rely on petrochemicals um, and you will have a lot of applications um, basically using machine learning to optimize biology because um, the sequencing costs for, so for example, DNA sequencing have been coming down much quicker and much quicker than Moore's law. And so suddenly like, 10 years ago, you couldn't generate that much data because sequencing costs are so high. But now, because costs go so low, you will, you will basically drown in data. And um, a lot of the tools we've been developed in the kind of machine learning world can now be applied to biological data. And that's super interesting because um, 
there's so many applications. And so this is one area we are right now getting into. And it's, I think it's just at the beginning. So obviously there are already some applications, but in the next 10, 20 years, we will see um, this, this space to fundamentally change. And I'm very excited about this. This is one area. Another area I'm excited about is, is, is actually more building more self-service tools because I think companies are getting, there's, there's open source and there's a lot of stuff you can build together with open source. Um, but that still means you need to get your hands very dirty. And I think there is a opportunity for companies which um, build solutions which are not fully self, self open source and, and you know, self-service, but you still can like customize them a bit to your use case. Um, and I think if you, if you build those solutions, you can actually address kind of the second category I mentioned before, where each customer ultimately can customize their solution um, to their specific use case. And I think that's very interesting for there's some applications in the manufacturing space, um, but also in, in for insurances and banks and all kinds of um, other companies. Mm. So uh, if you if you are uh, I mean if you are observing the landscape right of um, I think Mirantix is is the biggest uh, venture studio on on AI in Europe. What are what are other things of applications of artificial intelligence that you see, let's say, you know, where you would say, okay, these are good examples in either Europe or maybe also, you know, the, uh, in the US or uh, in, in, in China, you know, organizations that are maybe similar to what Verantix is doing, you know, in the sense of being a venture studio. Yeah, I think, I think this venture studio model, which is in the end a type of incubator, which is more focused around the topic and focused on building much fewer companies but with much more dedication is, is a model that is getting more and more popular not just in AI. And there are actually quite a few venture studios out there. The interesting thing is once they've built successful companies, you don't hear that much about the venture studio, but more about the companies they've built. Um, so for example, Business Insider and MongoDB came both out of the same venture studio in New York from Kevin Ryan, LA Corp. Um, some say Uber came out of, out of a venture studio. Um, there's a Dollar Shave Club, billion dollar company out of a venture studio in LA. There's Hims and Hers from Atomic in, in San Francisco. So there are quite a few successful also unicorn companies that came out of venture studios. Um, so the venture studio model has been around for 10 years. I think it's getting more popular now, especially for topics like machine learning, quantum computing, blockchain, biology, where you need a lot of domain expertise and you can also basically build a competitive mode around it and um, have these companies be very closely connected and learn a lot from each other and have a lot of synergies. And so I think there will be probably more venture studios around the world. I, I, don't, I haven't heard of another uh, machine learning first uh, focused venture, venture studio. There are obviously funds that focus more on machine learning, um, but most other venture studios are, are focused around other themes. But then again, I mean, um, wouldn't you say that the collaboration or that this would be a really big chance for, let's say, a big corporate to, uh, you know, to, to work together than basically with, with a venture studio like you? You know, for example, kind of like if you look at uh, BCG Digital Ventures right now, right? I mean, the, 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 their model has been quite successful, right? Uh, basically, what they do is they build up this, you know, organization from the ground up, digital first, right? And what they sell is ultimately also the team, right? They, they, they build a team around the, the product and everything. And then that's what they sell to the big corporate, right? Wouldn't that also be a huge chance then for, a, let's say, for a, let's say, German ducks company or whatever to uh, that you know, doesn't have the, the, let's say, the speed inside their organization and maybe also the competencies and, the, and, 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 
from the technical perspective to then kind of coll collaborate with you and basically kind of be the the initiator of the of the new venture you know yeah that's that's super interesting that you say that because that actually happened to us also we after not building the first two ventures and having a few more in the pipeline and um i mean we always have done consulting and solution projects on the site and last year we formed this into the Merantics labs team which nicole is heading um and there we built a lot of custom solution and they're actually now there are a few Workstream also with large companies, some also DAX companies, where we work on specific um, products and where also one of the potential outcomes could be that this gets turned into its own company. And uh, they actually came to us because they said, hey, you guys not, not only understand the machine learning side, but you also have built companies before. And so we're looking for somebody who knows AI, but also understands how to build a company. And um, so that's why they see us as a partner. And so this has been actually yeah in the last six to 12 months been more of a topic and we have a few of those work streams at the moment mm. yeah that's uh that's very cool do you think that maybe like this this could be actually kind of a secret secret sauce to having the specialization in a venture studio so that you basically really specialize in a certain type of technology yeah i think you need to specialize i think i mean you see that also with 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 kind of i guess the berlin ecosystem right like i think like 10 years ago like there was a big competitive advantage knowing about online marketing and so some people could come uh, capitalize on this um you know like like rocket internet or so i mean they had a big competitive advantage now as many people can can do um online marketing this com competitive advantage is smaller and so you need to build other competitive moments and i think it's it's similar for ai i think the, the good thing about ai i think is it's much more complicated topic and it's also B2B, so you need to much more connect with industry and have their trust and work with them. So it's a much more involved technology and collaboration mode that I think it's, it's, it's going to be more sticky. But yeah, I think you have a, ultimately you have a big advantage. I mean, if you think about an entrepreneur in residence joining us versus independently buying, uh, join, uh, building a company, for, if they join us, you know, there's, there's capital to fund the company. Um, there are other companies who have, similar challenges who are further ahead they can learn from, which are sitting in the same office space. Um, there's an established network of industry corporates out there um, who you can do your POCs with and get first customers. Um, there's some technology infrastructure you can use, which is kind of our Merantic stack. Um, there's a great talent pipeline. And so these are all things. And so if you compare this to independently starting a company, um, I think it just increases the probability of success and um, and that's that's ultimately our competitive mode i think as a studio 100 percent, yeah then let's kind of uh, look at the future maybe from two perspectives maybe from obviously yeah uh, one from from Merantics, right what, what what does the future hold for you guys um let's start with that maybe yeah so we we raised um this fund um to basically build um eight new companies in the next four years so i think that's gonna be super exciting for the next couple we already have an idea and already working on them but there there will be more to come and um, i'm super excited what what will happen there um i think also Merantix labs so our solutions business will grow because now corporates actually also uh, move from hey let's talk on slides about AI to actually building other production ready systems at scale and so i think there is a big opportunity there um, and there are a few other things we have in the pipeline, unfortunately can't talk about, but also, uh, ways to basically further, um, yeah, grow the Merantix ecosystem and also 
kind of a lot of the learnings we have done internally to share that with the broader audience. And so we're working on some, something where we will actually release something in, in July. So I'm very excited about that. Yeah, interesting, interesting. So our listeners definitely should uh, keep you in mind and, and follow your journey. Um, let's, let's talk about the second part, which is what is your opinion on, let's say, from a, uh, the future outlook on the uh, AI ecosystem? So in terms of startups, in terms of, uh, yeah, you know, new companies, or let's say also the developments, you know, within corporates, you know, obviously also keeping in mind uh, the current situation, right? Yeah, I think, I think we are now, we had a, we had a big hype in the last two years or so in the, in the public media. I mean, also because of all these government AI strategies, um, but which really uh, put AI on the agenda of every single company in the world. Um, I think we also had a lot of hype around companies and some got acquired, some also probably not survive, especially this, this pandemic. Um, and I think now, now we have to make the reality check. And I think in the next couple of years, so far we have only seen like a small fraction of um, the true potential of AI. In the next couple of years, we will have a lot more companies having a great impact. I think it's a bit like, we always make this comparison to the dot-com bubble, even though it was obviously caused by something different, but um, also there, I mean, you had the, the internet like a, already a few years before and there was a lot of hype in 2000 and then it burst and then it took a few years to regain. But I mean, some companies who were already around before um, ultimately became really large. And also after the burst, it took many years until the true potential of the internet developed and you know, it took probably like a decade. And I think it will be similar for AI. It will take many more years until, um, you know, everybody's really using AI. And so that's why I'm very optimistic. I think it will take longer. That's also what we tell all our investors and also all our clients that it's, it's going to be harder and take longer than they expect. Uh, but ultimately, I think if you look back in like 20 years, um, everybody who has invested in AI will, will be in a clearly better position than who has not. And so, um, yeah, I urge all companies to kind of, kind of think about their AI strategy for sure. So what, what, what would you say? What are some good examples, you know, of companies? Are you seeing some examples out there, you know, in terms of like bigger companies, maybe? I mean, obviously, yes, you know, the governments, uh, as you said, right, the last, the past two years, uh, every, every kind of government has put out their uh, own uh, personal AI strategy. But like, let's say from the, the, the private sector, right, uh, what are big, big companies, maybe or companies in general, where you say, okay, they're doing a good job, you know, they're thinking about it. I mean, there's clearly every, you know, that, that's, it's, it's also a question on how you would judge how you would judge their activities, right? For example, uh, you, you, uh, I would say that, you know, just because you are, you know, hiring or putting a person aside that is called the head of AI, you know, inside your company doesn't mean that you have, let's say, fruitful activities within the companies, right? Yeah. So, um, I mean, maybe, you know, I can, uh, I, can, I can tell you some of my observations that I have. So, for example, um, you know, Bosch, I see Bosch doing a lot of cool stuff in that sense because they also invest heavily in the sense that they are building a new new campus, right? So they're really going in there and, and like building a whole campus on, on, on an AI research, right? So um, that is something where I would say, okay, you know, that looks quite cool in the sense that they're really putting money there, you know, also developing talent and stuff like that, which is crucial if you don't have the talent, right? If people don't want to work for your company because they think it's boring, then they're not, they're not going to come and you're not going to build anything, right? So, um, but yeah, do you see, do you see any other good examples maybe, you know? Yeah, I think, I think in general, in, in, if, you, if you now look at Germany, um, to make it concrete, I think the automotive companies, um, 
have been like investing more heavily into this space also because it's more natural for what they do and also it's more obvious that they have to um so both the oems and tier t1s i think also companies like sap who are very close to software and, and tech and ai um have been investing more i think it's been harder for company which are a bit more more distance from this topic so if you look at the other dax companies which are um, a bit further from the topic of AI, yeah, they have probably appointed a head of an AI and like built some prototypes, but like many of them have a few system maybe here and there in production, but not really at scale. And so for them, it's going to be even more important that they now start um, yeah, building serious efforts. And I think in the end, they also need to build a bit like these Lighthouse projects. I think if they, if they build like one really cool Lighthouse project in their organization, um, that is, you know, a product that works, that has an impact, also commercially makes sense, then that will motivate other people in the organization to also take this investment. Because I think a lot of the people are still hesitant. They want to do POCs and they want to try that stuff, but like um, they also see it as risky. And so if there's an internal lighthouse, I think that would often help uh, to yeah. move things quicker. Yeah, definitely. Um, you you joined Google, I think, for an internship, right? As far as I could see that from your, uh, your LinkedIn yeah. PhD. Yeah. So, uh, and, and you actually, uh, you, you were uh, in, in Mountain View, right? So you were yeah. in, um, at the headquarters. That kind of gave you an insight on, on basically how they work, right? How, how their processes work, how the people are thinking and everything, right? So, um, do you, what is, let's say, what is your perception? I mean, clearly there's, there's, uh, there's big differences, right, between you know, how people in Europe approach, you know, technology and also how people, let's say, in, in the United States and in particular, obviously, the Silicon Valley, which is not really, you cannot account Silicon Valley for the entire US, right? It's a special place. What is the, let's say, what are the major differences that you see, you know, between, let's say, the US and maybe also Europe, you know, and maybe in terms of both pros and cons, you know, like uh, what, what I've been seeing a lot, you know, the past, especially the past two years as well, is... In Europe, there's always kind of this negative, um, especially from the media, right? There's always this negative comment on, okay, Europe is really far behind, you know, in a lot of things, right? And Europe is really lagging, lagging behind and it's, it's not really going anywhere and stuff like that. We miss all these big companies. What is your opinion on this entire discussion? Yeah, I think, I think you're, you're, you're hitting the right nail there. Like, it's, I think the difference is like in the US, it's always this can-do attitude and everybody's positive and it's wants to wants to try out new technologies and it's open and um in europe you generally see much more skepticism um because for like data privacy and jobs and like also changing the status quo and so i think that's that's hindering a lot of innovation in, in europe from a from a technical perspective honestly like you you learn the same things in the us as in europe in the end it's 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 the same if you study computer science whether it's in the us or in europe the same the curriculum is more or less the same right because you program in the same language you use the same tools um it's more this can do at this the attitude thing and also in general i guess people are more entrepreneurial or more or less risk averse and also try out the more risky solution if they see a potential bigger upside there or later um but also and that was surprising to me and that was like eight years ago so it's certainly some time ago but also google even at that point already is was a quite a big organization with a lot of like corporate overhead. So it's certainly also not the, the tiny startup anymore. It's also a very large organization. I mean, which makes sense. So it's, there needs to be processes, but like, I guess people always have 
have the idea that like working at Google is like working at a startup, but I feel like Google working at Google is like the incredibly bright minds and great products. And um, it's a very fun place to work, but it's, it's also a very large organization. Yeah. Right. Uh, I totally agree with you. Uh, uh, I mean, if, if you look at, if you look at the portfolio of companies, right, that are under Alphabet, I mean, uh, <laughs> then you, then you realize how, how big of a deal it actually is. Right. Um, so let's talk about your 5% job you know, uh, about the uh, German association of artificial intelligence. Um, you, you started that, you actually are a founding member. So you started that two years ago. Uh, maybe guide us through uh, on what the idea uh, behind, behind that is. And also, um, you know, where, where you're heading with this, what the plans are for, for the association and so on. Sure. Yeah. So we started it a bit more than two years ago um, because we felt like there was, happening too little uh, around the topic of AI in Germany and Europe and specifically. Um, and so we, we were, uh, Jörg, who's also one of the founding members and, and kind of um, on the board as well, he um, was also talking to some politicians and we were like, okay, hey, how can we support and how can we bring us like, bring in like our startup and AI expertise. And then people basically said, hey, as an individual or a company, you know, you can join politics, but like, it's hard. If you want to have a real impact, you need to basically bring more people together. And so the way to do this is to found an association. And so um, we basically then looked around and there wasn't really like an association around which we could have joined, which would have had exactly the same focus. And so we just started one and uh, brought together a couple of entrepreneurs and that very quickly then grew into, uh, which is now like around 250 companies. And um, yeah, we wrote a position paper, um, a white paper around like our views on what the government should do, which was then also, um, kind of like, um, you know, I guess part of the um, strategy process of the government. And we have Tina Kluver in the board, who's also in the Enquete Commission. Um, so yeah, we, we've, been, we've been in constant exchange. And I think the goal is um, you have, you have the, the, the academia and AI, which is pretty well connected with the government. And, you know, anyways, because all our universities, most of our universities in Germany, especially are public, um, there are anyways strong ties to the government. Um, also the large corporates, like the automotive companies, they have like lobbying organizations. They're quite well connected to the government, but we felt like anything in the middle. So from the like one or two person startup to kind of the few hundred people, innovative uh, Mittelstand company, um, there wasn't really like one spokesperson who would like um, drive um, um, what, what would need, what would be needed to done to help them. And so, um, and we firmly believe that we firmly believe that a lot of the innovation comes through startups and small innovative companies who bring basically research into industry to then to the large companies who either use the products or acquire the companies. And so, um, and that's also how it's happening in the US and that's also how it's happening in China. And I think that's also what, how it ha should happen here. And we've been much worse here than at, at this than in, in the US and China. And so we, we want to improve the environment for this. We want to improve the regulatory environment also for new AI products, but we also want to make sure that if there's a lot of public funding flowing into, into AI, that basically some of these innovative companies profit from this. And so it's all about like talking to the government, to all the stakeholders in the, there, but also the second thing is to connect um, all the AI companies within Germany and across Europe um, with each other so that they can also help each other. And so that's what we're doing. Um, and yeah, I mean, it's a, it's a very different kind of job, obviously from my 95% job, but uh, also very rewarding. And I think 
we're, we're, we're trying to get, we already made some, some impact here and there. Okay. And uh, what are some milestones that you, that you are, you know, striving for to achieve, you know, maybe in the near future or so? I think again, we need, we need a couple of lighthouse AI companies where also, um, where also beyond Germany people, um, look up to and as which then motivates new entrepreneurs to start more companies. Um, I think that's ultimately how the Silicon Valley works. You have successful companies, those entrepreneurs invest into new companies, new entrepreneurs look up to them and like also try to build companies. And so I think building that ecosystem up for AI is super important. Um, and the other thing is when, when we look back in like five and 10 years and um, look at where all the, you know, AI money is spent, we want to make sure that it's spent efficiently and on the most innovative projects and doesn't get lost in like bureaucracy. Yeah. Um, and also on the regulatory side that um, I think, you know, GDPR is a good thing. I think it makes a lot of sense. I think we, we are the thought leaders on privacy in these topics in, in Europe. Um, I mean, Europe as compared to the US, I mean, or China. And so I think we want to make sure that also the companies we're building are not basically blocked by these regulations, but rather profit from it because for example people from europe are maybe more trustworthy to handle your data and so they have a competitive advantage um, because they have to comply with gdpr and all these kind of things so um yeah i think we're very excited to grow it and also ultimately grow more members i think we we need to be 500 or 1000 ai companies in germany at some point and so uh, hopefully we can also grow with these memberships yeah let's hope for that you know if we're already talking about let's say government i mean what is your take on you know, uh, I think there's two, there's two, two initiatives or not initiatives, but let's say um, two things which kind of um, show the same, the same ultimate result, which is one is um, how basically each European country reacted to uh, the Corona outbreak, right? So you saw that every country kind of, you know, came up with their own things, you know, uh, kind of with their own restrictions and whatsoever and you know kind of getting back to the AI uh, part what is your perspective you know when 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 every country kind of came up with their own um, uh, especially you know every European country came up with their AI strategy you know what is your what is your take on that you know because ultimately I mean Europe a single country within Europe does not have a chance you know to stand internationally you know against either the US or uh, China you know um, it's only the, the, the collective, right? And um, I mean, Europeans love the idea about Europe, but on the execution side, you know, they're, they're not really that strong, you know, to kind of have this unified, you know, aspect. And what is your take, for example, on that? You know, do you believe, okay, um, you know, that, uh, yeah, you know, it's fine that everybody comes up with their own AI strategy, or do you think that really there should be, you know, one for everybody? Yeah, it's, it's a tough question. I think it would definitely be better if there was one unified AI strategy on the, on the whole European continent, um, which would then also mean that the execution and ultimately also a lot of the money, at least partially, would need to come from the European level and would then be dispersed into the individual countries. But at the same time, you need to make sure that when the money comes from the EU or like some directive comes from the EU, that also um, the execution works very locally and for that you need local partners so you also need like the local government in your city to or the local investors to identify what projects to to support and which not and so it's this weird thing that the strategy needs to be europe-wide aligned but the execution needs to be super local and when you 
if you otherwise, because if you distribute money from far and are not very close to the local operations, that also doesn't work and the money just gets lost on the way and like put into the wrong projects. And so right. ideally it's all coordinated, right? And so you have kind of maybe like a global strategy, European, and then you have maybe a variation of that on the local level. Um, and people are trying to align. I think it's not perfect, but they're at least working on this because there are all these papers on various government levels. Um, and they all at least refer to each other, try to align each other. And there are some money they spend together and some regulation they work on together. So I think I, my biggest worry is that it's too slow. I think like it, yeah. you know, we've, we've started with the AI strategy two years ago um, and it's been, it takes so long until this gets executed. It takes a couple of years and that's very like, policy driven and in some of in China, I mean, it's more like, okay, here's, here's the money. Here's some entrepreneurs. Let's start building a business. And then they spend three, four years building the business while we still are talking about regulation. And um, the problem is that a lot of these business models um, have these like marketplace dynamics or this right. winner takes all dynamics that yeah. ultimately you have like one or very few companies globally dominating the space. And so even, even if you would prefer a solution from Europe, but if there's somebody from China who has just trained the algorithms on 10x more data, um, their algorithm will be better at detecting cancer. And then if you as a patient go to the doctor and uh, you fear that you have cancer and there's a solution from China, which has a higher accuracy than the German one, um, in your specific case, you will probably still, you might use the Chinese one because in the end you care about finding the cancer and yeah, yeah your data, data might go to China, but like, uh, you don't want to die of cancer. And so I think we don't want to, we don't want our people in, in Europe to, to, to get into this troubling situation. And so yeah. and the best way to do that is actually to build up players in Europe. Yeah, yeah exactly. hundred percent. I mean, that is a, that is a already an extreme example, right? I mean, when it comes down to health, right, whether you survive or you not survive, obviously we'll choose the, you know, the faster solution that, you know, that already works and stuff like that, because I mean, you can already see it in consumer, uh, in consumer electronics, you know, or consumer products, right? You know, uh, and, uh, I think like 10 years ago or so, people would not buy, you know, hardware products from, from China or so, right? Nowadays, I mean, people, uh, people buy, for example, like self-driving vacuum cleaners and stuff like that from uh, Xiaomi or whatever, you know, and, 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 and use them because they're way cheaper, you know, like, for example, compared to European products. And they work, the, 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 the product is, is fine, you know, it looks good drives well, everything works, you know, software is good and, and, and people do it because the perception is also changing, right? The perception in terms of on, on how people look in terms of on, on the country and the products that, that are being produced here, right? So I 100% agree there with you. Uh, we're already running out of time. So, um, but uh, thanks a lot, Rasmus. It was a really, really nice conversation, really interesting. And uh, hope we can continue that one in the future uh, sometime again. Thanks for being on the show. Thanks for you. Thanks for the invite and uh, looking forward to, to, to the next episodes.